Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa. This is the final in our Easter series on 1 Peter, preached at Tawantan by Chris Johnson. The passage is 1 Peter 5, and the topic is Real Hope and Humility. The reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1223. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve nor lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him, the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a story of a United States general who saw a lowly private coming towards his office. And so he thought to himself, I'll show this private a thing or two. Uh, So as the soldier entered the office, he picked up his phone and he said, yes, Mr. President, I understand exactly what you're saying. I'll get onto it straight away, Mr. President. Thank you. Put the phone down. And turning to the soldier with a gruff voice, he said, and what can I do for you, private? And the soldier replied, I'm here to connect your new telephone, sir. (laughs)
So our topic this morning is real hope with humility, with humility. And Peter says in this final chapter of the epistle in verses 5 and 6, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And Peter applies this virtue of humility especially to the matter of leadership. The chapter is addressed to the elders. Did you notice that there? And if you've got it open in front of you, it'd be very handy to have the the text there in front of you. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. So it's addressed to the elders. The actual Greek word here is presbyteros. And this word can sometimes be translated as presbyter. Uh, And church leaders sometimes are referred to as presbyters. But here in the new NIV and most of the translations, uh, it's simply translated as elder. Notice, though, that Peter stands with them as a fellow elder. That's interesting, isn't it? Because Peter could have identified himself as the senior elder or the chief apostle. Because remember what Jesus said to Peter? You are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Peter was the chief apostle. uh, Had a very special place. But Peter doesn't pull rank. He very humbly describes himself simply as a fellow elder. A fellow elder. It's, of course, obvious in the passage that Peter is an apostle. Uh, He says there in verse 1 also that he's a witness to Christ's sufferings. And being a personal witness to Christ was the qualification for being an apostle. The ones who were with him closely for those three years of intense training that he gave them while he was on this earth. And they were the witnesses. That's again and again in the Acts of the Apostles, that they would be the witnesses. And so... Uh, Peter here is describing himself as a witness to the sufferings of Christ. It's interesting that he mentions the sufferings of Christ. I mean, he could have said, I was a witness to the glorified Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or I was a witness to the resurrection. I mean, he was the second one there at the empty tomb after Mary Magdalene, wasn't he? And the other women. Uh, So he uh, could have been talking about those things. Uh, but in these latter years of his life, as he's reflecting on things, he's recalling the sufferings of Christ. And he talks about the glory as something still in the future. His mind's not dwelling on the glories of the past, and he'd had plenty of those, but looking forward to the glories of the future. Look at the end of verse 1, where he says uh, to his readers, uh, we will share in the glory that is to be revealed. And he reinforces that in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. And so Peter's not concerned about his personal status or reminiscing about past glories. He's concerned about the needs of his congregations who are going to read this and encouraging them and assuring them that the glory is coming. And uh, so he's still looking to the future. Uh, And I suggest a very humble man. If you look at the end of the chapter as well, we find examples of Peter's humility. Uh, In verse 12 there, he acknowledges Silas as one uh, who it would seem was Peter's scribe. 
And so he's acknowledging this faithful brother doing this task for him. Uh, Notice also he acknowledges Mark in verse 13, who he describes as a son. Other ancient documents uh, tell us that Mark was Peter's interpreter. So uh, a lot of what we read in Mark is probably eyewitness account from the Apostle Peter. Um, So they were very close. And it may have been that uh, Mark was converted under Peter's ministry. The fact that he calls him my son. Uh, there's that sense that uh, it's through his ministry that, uh, that he's come to faith. And so these are the words of a humble shepherd caring for his flock, pastorally reaching out and acknowledging those uh, who are important uh, and have helped him. So in many ways, Peter lives out the exhortation to be humble. Peter is well qualified to exhort the elders to be humble because he's doing it himself. So listen again to the whole of this first verse. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory that is to be revealed. In verse 2, the elders are to be shepherds of God's flock. Now, the shepherd is a common image in the Bible for God's relationship with his people, with the nation of Israel. Uh, If you think of the 23rd Psalm, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, said King David. David was a shepherd boy who used to look after sheep, but the Lord called him out of that to now shepherd his people. And in fact, to be king over the nation but to do it as a shepherd. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 10 describes himself as the good shepherd and the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. And so uh, the leaders of Christ's church are also called to be shepherds. In the NIV, which is the Pew Bible, uh, you'll see the words, uh, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. I must admit I love the language of the new RSV because it says, tend the flock of God, that is your charge. Isn't that powerful? We have a charge to tend the flock. Uh, And so we can take Peter here to be addressing the formal leaders of the church and in our context, the clergy. But Peter, you see, is also addressing followers because look in verse 5. He expresses it in terms of those who are younger submitting themselves to their elders. Submitting yourself to an elder doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean agreeing with everything a leader says. But it does mean showing respect to the elder when you express your opinion uh, or you have a disagreement. But to do it with respect. Uh, And that's healthy. Uh, In verse 5, you'll see also, though, that it's not just as followers, but uh, that he's addressing, sorry, in verse 5, that he's addressing all the members of the flock. Uh, In verse 5, he says, and all of you, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. The words are applicable to everyone. So in the context of New Sir Anglican, this means wardens, parish council, LAs, music teams, Connect group leaders, kids' church teams, playtime team, pastoral care teams, women's ministry, men's ministry, 
welcomers, hospitality, readers, intercessors, sacristans, cleaning, tech ministry, gardening, maintenance, counters, anyone who's on a roster. And then there's administration ministries, wider mission, Samaritan care and Alpha. I hope I haven't left anyone out. Is anyone doing a ministry that's not there? Hopefully it includes everyone. Uh, In our regular interactions with one another in doing our ministries, we are to clothe ourselves with humility. That's the instruction from Peter in chapter 5. Now, if you're a lay leader in one of those ministries, one of those long lists I've just mentioned, then you also have a role to shepherd God's flock that is under your care. You are there to shepherd uh, the group you lead. And that's an enormous privilege and also an enormous responsibility. And verses 2 and 3 outline for us something of the responsibility. So there's three expectations that Peter here puts on the shepherds. Firstly, they will tend the flock of God, not because you must, but because you're willing. Christian leadership should never be done begrudgingly. So it's never a case of, well, no one else is prepared to do it, so I guess I'm just lumped with it. (laughs) You ever had that feeling? No, that's not the way to go about it. Uh, We're called to serve willingly and wholeheartedly, Peter says, and in the joy of the Lord. There'll be hard times. There'll be times when we're feeling down. That's okay. That's part of it. Uh, But we continue to do it willingly and wholeheartedly. Uh, Next, we're to tend the flock, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Leaders are not to be in it for the money or to use their position for material gain. We are to be eager to serve with a motivation to honour God. And then in verse 3, we tend the flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And Peter can call others to be an example because he himself is such a wonderful example, isn't he, as we've seen. So these expectations are on all of us who are both clergy and lay leaders, who are... have a responsibility to shepherd uh, whatever part of the vineyard, whatever part of uh, God's people we're called to lead. Verse 2, shepherd God's flock that is under your care. Now this chapter also addresses the issue of suffering and that's in verses 8 to 11 and Linda addressed that so well last week. But simply here to say that uh, the temptation to fall away because of persecution is very real. Very real. And so in verse 8, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind, because of our enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now for us, the temptation is probably more likely to come from worldliness. Uh, But Peter has in mind here persecution. Having things too easy or too hard can both be reasons to fall away. Um, And so Peter's saying, whichever situation people are in, be alert, resist the devil and his temptations. Keep your eyes on the eternal glory, which is Christ. See that that theme there again in verse 10, looking to the future, to his coming and his glory. Uh, Learn the verses in that lovely new hymn we've just heard. 
which takes our minds to heaven and being with Christ. Knowing the power of temptation should keep us humble. Peter certainly knew the power of temptation, didn't he? We have so many examples of him failing in the New Testament. Uh, but And even at this later stage of his life, when he wrote this epistle, he is again only too aware of the power of the devil, the weakness of the flesh, the need to stand firm and resist temptation. I don't think you ever get to the point where you're beyond temptation. We have to stay humble with an alert and sober mind. And so the call again to be humble. Well, how are we to pursue humility? How do you actually do it? I think the answer is we pursue Christ (laughs) and humility follows. To pursue humility as an end in itself uh, is a great vanity, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit of a formula for um, uh, discouragement and failure. There's two possible outcomes, either pride or despair, if you pursue just for its own sake. We might become proud that we've achieved our humility, in which case we've surely failed. (laughs) But secondly, we may end up in despair, trying to chase an impossible goal, the impossible goal of becoming unselfconsciously humble. (laughs) like to see that. The better course is simply to pursue Christ and look forward to his coming. And that's the heart of Peter's epistle. Look, pursue Christ and look forward to his coming and humility will surely follow. So my friends, 1 Peter 5, what a lovely way uh, to finish the epistle, uh, thinking about this topic of humility. Uh, and as we come to the end of the series, I want us to reflect again on what we've been learning uh, over this time. This call of Peter to real hope, which is in Christ. You might recall back to chapter 1 and our theme, real hope with joy. And verse 8 there, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Real hope with joy. Uh, And then uh, the second week, we looked at real hope on a firm foundation. And uh, chapter 2, verse 6, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So if we've got the foundation of our life on that cornerstone, then no matter what happens, we have real hope. In week three, we looked at real hope in submission. Uh, And thank you, Ray, for being here and and leading us in that. Chapter 2, verse 13, submit to human authority. Chapter 2, verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Chapter 3, verse 1, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Why? So that they might be won over with your pure and reverent lives. And chapter 3, verse 7, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Submission centres around first submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. And our world has a big hang-up about submission, but... Uh, when it's built on the foundation of Jesus as Lord, it brings real hope, real hope. 
In week four, we looked at real hope and goodness. Chapter three, verse eight, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And verse 11 there, uh, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So following Christ produces goodness and real hope. In week five, uh, we looked at real hope in suffering. And here, chapter 4, verse 12, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So even in the midst of suffering, we can have real hope if it's participating in the sufferings of Christ, walking with him in his passion, uh, but also looking forward to the glory that still lies ahead. And then finally, this week, uh, we've come to the final chapter and real hope with humility. And that verse I quoted at the beginning, uh, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And so we are to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, just as the Lord Jesus humbled himself under the Father's hand and the Father's will. And then we will find real hope. I want to finish with a story uh, about Sir Edmund Hillary. Do you know that when Edmund Hillary conquered Mount Everest that he left a crucifix up on the top of Mount Everest? Uh, apparently, uh, Hillary wasn't overtly Christian, uh, so we can only speculate as to why he might have done that. But perhaps it was a token of his own humility that at the moment that he was at the height of his power, having conquered the highest mountain in the world, that he actually wanted to honour a higher power. And amazingly, he chose a cross. He chose what, to the ancient mind, was a symbol of shame and disgrace and horror. But of course, to our Christian mind... It makes perfect sense, isn't it, that you would put the cross at the highest point in the world. To the Christian mind, uh, whatever we might consider our highest achievement, that we would put the cross so much higher. And the cross deserves to be in the highest place. The cross of Christ stands alone as offering real hope over our world. It is the ultimate symbol of humility. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.